Good morning, Christ Central. Yes, I'm Tamika Ingram, one of the deaconesses here, uh, co-leader of the Mint Hill Community Group and a member of the PST. Praise God. Um, scripture reading today will come from 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 3, 9 from the NLT. And it reads, Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from everything that stimulates useful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God's, God will change the people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You should know this, Timothy, in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will... <clears throat> Be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into home, people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have, depraved, they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. 
but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as Jonathan Jambers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central Church. I'm glad you could join us. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're back in 2 Timothy this morning, the final letter of Apostle Paul, who is imprisoned in Rome, his final words to his beloved disciple, as well as a young pastor named Timothy in Church of Ephesus. Back in 2016, self-identified political satire began circulating false stories on national reports like Texas town quarantined after family of five tests positive for the Ebola virus. Satire, right? Not true. However, this story was shared more than 330 times, 100 times, 330, 100 times on Facebook. And if you recall, before COVID, there was the real fear of Ebola coming, right? When the dust settled about all the, the disease, Americans noticed that four imported cases and one death happened in American soil, while in Africa, they experienced around 30,000 cases and 11,000 deaths. But this was not an innocent mishap. As an American nurse, Casey Hickok, who volunteered with the famed organization Doctors Without Borders, went to serve and people in West Africa, she returned home, but upon returning on a flight through Newark airport, she was immediately quarantined for 80 hours by the New York Department of Health and then Governor Chris Christie, despite showing no conclusive symptoms at all. Even after an Ebola test came back negative, she was not released. And then when she went back home, to her home in Maine, their own state governor, following this false fake news, as they say, tried to enforce the similar quarantine on her, even though she showed no sign of Ebola for weeks on and afterwards as well. The dangers of the fake news, as we all are familiar with. According to 2019 Pew Research states, 50% of Americans' polls say fake news was a critical problem that needs to be solved. Mind you, that's in line, that's a higher percentage than those who are polled who said that racism was a problem, was 40% people said that. Violent crimes, 49%. Terrorism, 34%, right? Poll people, 50% people said uh, fake news is a critical problem. 2016 Stanford research concluded that middle school students, I know they're not here, right? High school students and college students who participated in the study of determining the true news from the false fake news, had dismal findings to say they are in a, uh, show their inability for students to tell apart the fake news sources at that. And the article concludes, you think our future is bright, guess again, right? We have seen fake news or claims of fake news have been used time and time again to be weaponized, to discredit or dissuade, or persuade even, many for a variety of political maneuvers, public health crisis, and economic gains that invaded very homes of ours as well as our families. When did our family gatherings and holidays become fighting over what is true and what is not? 
We have seen the fake news, the claims of fake news have been used again and again and again. If you think that's new, it's not. And as Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, there's nothing new under the sun. The fake news regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ has plagued the church for centuries upon centuries, including the time of 2 Timothy. Here in 2 Timothy, in Paul's final words to Timothy, Paul warns Timothy of the good news of Christ being used by false teachers to distort them, to challenge Timothy's ministry. And Paul says it will corrupt and lead people astray from the church and the true teaching of the gospel. It's as if Paul is living in the 21st century, doesn't he? He's warning the church today also of the good news that could be twisted to be the fake news of the good news of the gospel. Church, do we have them today in our church? Absolutely, right? We could name many of them right off the bat, and we'll do that in a little bit. But quite often, what they do is they often latch onto the good news and either add or subtract from the gospel itself. Hence, the gospel writer said, do not add or subtract anything from the gospel that I preached. So here, Paul warns Timothy and all of us to be on watch as we learn what it means to persevere and stand together as a firm church foundation that's upon true gospel of Christ, he warns us to hold on to that tightly as we fight off the fake news, fake news of the uh, false gospel that is being taught over and over and over again. Not only in the times of Timothy in Ephesus, but also today as we face all kinds of challenges that come to us. So in order to do that today, we're going to identify the fake news of false orthodoxy. Another fancy word to say, right belief or false belief. We'll look at what the false belief that Timothy and Paul are dealing with, as well as the false fake news of orthopraxy, a fancy word to say right practice or false practice that the church was facing and experiencing at the time. First thing we look at is the fake orthodoxy. Again, fake false belief that we see. Orthodoxy is the right belief, correct belief according to Scripture. That is at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. But the false belief, fake orthodoxy, is dangerous. And that's what Paul tells Timothy in verse 14. He says, remind everyone of these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. And he says to work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. And he talks about this false teaching on and on about how this kind of talk spreads like cancer, how this false talk stimulates youthful rust, run away from them, and pursue the right teaching. Paul warns Timothy and the church of the fake orthodoxy in the church. So what kind of fake good news was spreading at the time? One of them is mentioned in verse 18, as we find the fake news preached by Hymenaeus and Politus at the time stated that the resurrection already happened. Resurrection has already taken place. In verse 18 tells us that it is not about Jesus' resurrection that has taken place, but they were talking about the believer's resurrection that you look forward to has already happened. In this fake news of the gospel, that means the future is now. 
believers already enjoy the full benefit of God's eternal forgiveness because the resurrection of Christians already happened. You have your full benefit of being resurrected. Can you see how dangerous that can be? This type of false truth leads to living however you want to live. Whatever you want to do with your body is up to you since you already got the final body anyways. Some theologians believe this is the false teaching that plagues yet another church at the time, church in Corinth. This explains why Corinthian church members were involved in incest, prostitution, among all other fallouts at the time. So Paul here is warning of this false belief's effect on the church as he witnessed what's happening in Corinth, and he tells the church at Ephesus, flee from this, be careful of this type of false news of the false gospel. Paul, knowing this, warns Timothy in three different occasions, right? Verse 16, he says, avoid worthless, foolish talk. Verse 22, run away from anything that stimulates your youthful loss. 23, again, he says, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Again, he knows what kind of teaching this is and how it spreads. In verse 7, he says, this kind of teaching spreads like cancer. In original Greek, this word gangrene is used instead of cancer, which some of your translations have. Gangrene is a decayed tissue in a part of the body where the blood supply is obstructed, and it continues to spread until it mortifies, kills the body off. Hence, NLT chooses words like cancer that spreads and spreads and ultimately kills off the body. Church. Do you believe that there are dangers out there in the world today within the church? You better believe it. You don't need to be the discipleship expert to know that you and I are discipled by all kinds of sayings, beliefs, and even false theology apart from the gospel in the world today. I read this work by James K. Smith where he talks about how when you walk into the mall, you're already being discipled by consumerism all the posters, all the images that says, if you buy this, your life will be much better. You're being discipled in it as you walk through that. All kinds of discipleship is happening out in the world today. But also, there are the fake news, twisted news of the good news that comes into the church. And there are many I could address. But let me point to two warnings that go both extremes, I think, in the church today that twist the good news of the gospel. First is something that we call out often from this pulpit, and that is the fake news of Christian nationalism. Right? Christian nationalism that says the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Popularly, Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a Christian nation, not merely as an observation about American history but as a prescriptive program for what America must continue to be in the future. It is a real danger that impacts and pervades the Church of Christ today. The gospel, this fake news of the gospel, elevates falsely America as the nation often driven by the racial makeup rather than gospel inclusivity. This is fake good news that pervades, divides, and breaks churches apart. We must stand against and fight this fake news. The second fake news is the black Hebrew Israelites. 
The Hebrew Israelite movement is rooted in black Judaism, a belief system birthed in the late 1800s by black Christians from the South Pentecostal Holiness Movement. They claim to have received a revelation that America's recently emancipated slaves were God's chosen people, the true Hebrews. You see, this false teaching pigeonholes orthodox teaching as white men's religion. Falsely discrediting its origin and heart, they disregard African theologians like Augustine and Athanasius, as well as the story of the gospel that shows that Jesus is a Middle Eastern Jewish man who lived and died, and by his resurrection, we all of us, I believe all of us are Gentiles here, are engrafted, meaning adopted, into God's family. That's the gospel, right? You think that's not a danger. Both of these false teachings have taken deep roots in American Christianity today. It's in our backyards, in our cities, in our communities, in our family gatherings, in our churches. Spreading and corrupting sound mind, dividing the churches, falsely incorporating politics, and as a result, have driven many people out of the church in disbelief. And notice that both fake good news, as they claim to be good news, centers themselves upon what? Their particular interest and their particular desire and the hope, false dream that they want. There's not much different than saying that, wow, resurrection is already here. Let's do whatever we want. Rather than centering upon Christ's resurrection, sacrificial love that he dies on the cross. So what must we do, church? But Paul tells Timothy in verse 19. Paul says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with its inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasion, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. What Paul is telling Timothy is two things, uh, preservation and perseverance. Preservation and perseverance. First, what Paul tells Timothy is God's truth will stand firm because God will preserve God's church. God knows who are his, and God's got this under his control, meaning his word, his message, no matter what the false teaching and opposition may seem like so daunting at a time, they will not stand. And what he's saying, God's word of God will prevail. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will come to judge and take his own into his family. That's the promise we hold on to. Amen? But also do your part, Paul says. And persevere based upon this truth. Turn away from evil. Be prepared. Be set apart. Be holy for God's use. That's what this whole utensil thing is talking about. It's saying be prepared to be used by God to persevere in this evil age, to be used by God to preach the gospel. And that's why verse 15 says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains what? The word of truth. Be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. In summary, I love what Pastor Derek Thomas says of this. He says, make sure, make sure, church, 
you preach and defend and proclaim accurately the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, make sure that you're always proclaiming the glory of God, the sinfulness of men, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gratitude that should be ours for grace bestowed. Make sure that you don't fall into the trap of suddenly suggesting that something that we do or some ritual that we engage in somehow merits our salvation. Somehow adds to the finished work of Christ. Be clear about that. Be always clear about the word of truth. Oh, church, oh, church, the bride of Christ, persevere in holding unto the word of God. Know who God is. Know what God is teaching us in the scripture. Go back to the word of God. Perhaps some of us have to reignite our passion that we started in January 1st about reading the scripture again. Learn to read the cherished, the Word of God. In addition, check what you hear. Pay careful attention to what teachings, what discipleship that you're receiving from the world and out there today. That also means check what I'm saying to you as your pastor. Check me, what I teach on Sunday. With the word of God, bring your word. Don't just receive it because I say so, right? Come humble, absolutely. But also, bring your Bible and make sure that I'm teaching from the Bible, not from my life or what I think is best for you, right? Check our church. Check these teachings that are coming out from our church. Be the readers of the word. Seek discipleship. Find people that will handle the truth carefully and correctly and to teach you, to walk with you, but also be willing to listen, to learn, and to grow. Church, our youth and parents are invited to read Color, uh, Courageous Discipleship by Michelle Sanchez in light of the Black History Month. I'm reading it, not only as your pastor, but also for me to learn because I need to be discipled too. I encourage you to read it with your youth. Even if you don't have youth, I want you to encourage to read it. Not only the youth readings, but also the, the women's readings, as well as other ministries' readings. In seeing the need for all of us to dismantle false teaching of the division and separation. In this book, Michelle Sanchez writes, The church also needs Christ-like disciples who make Christ-like disciples um, yes, the church also needs Christ-like disciples who make Christ-like disciples, ambassadors of reconciliation who make ambassadors of reconciliation, colored crazes disciples who make colored crazes disciples. This is how God's kingdom comes, as we learn to be discipled and disciple one another. I love that. And that's church, Right? Don't just merely come to check the boxes on Sunday. Your time is more valuable than that, isn't it? Don't just go through the motions. Your life is so limited. Your time is so precious. But if it's worth it, if this is everything that you could pay your life upon, come be discipled and come prepare to disciple one another as we learn the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But as we learn the true gospel of Jesus Christ, what should automatically outflow is the true orthopraxy, another fancy word for practice. Here in Paul's letter in 2 Timothy, not only Paul warns of fake orthodoxy, false belief, but also fake orthopraxy, fake 
practice. It is said that you practice what you believe, right? If you believe ice cream is good for you, then you eat lots of it. Another way to say that is your orthodoxy, right? Belief leads into orthopraxy, right? Practice. And the logical conclusion of fake orthodoxy is fake orthopraxy. And that's what Paul describes in the beginning of chapter 3. And Paul tells Timothy that we're in the last days. Last days here refers to the time period between Christ's first coming and the second coming of Christ. And based on this grammatical tense here, it seems to indicate that time is coming where the difficulties will be heavy. But further look at the context, especially in verse 5 or chapter 3, we also see Paul's not only speaking about the difficult times that's coming in the future, but he's saying it is now as well. Look at this in verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray with their friends, and betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure better than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Again, here in these verses, Paul describes what results from false teaching will do in your life. Bracketing 19 behaviors from verses 2 to 5, what we see is the fake practice of loving oneself. Whether loving God and loving others is at the heart of this fake orthopraxy, fakeness of what it means to live out the gospel of Christ, centering upon oneself, the fruit of self-centered love is seen in verse 2 through 5 here. On this New Testament theologian, Donald Guthrie writes, self-centered news and material advantages, when they become the chief object of affection, love, debtors, all moral values, and the subsequent list of vices is their natural fruit. Meaning, if you center yourself on loving yourself, out of thinking that I have everything that I need and want, natural outflow is all this fruit that will be produced in verse 2 through 5. Their impact is so vile here. Paul describes what was happening. He says in verse 6, They are kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by the various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. Please note, again, I think you all know this, but I want to make sure we understand this. It is not highlighting saying only women are weak and vulnerable to this type of teaching. Paul doesn't say that, right? In other places of the Bible, he says all have fallen short. Last time I checked, all includes men and women. We all have fallen short. So what Paul is saying here is not describing the women's nature here, but rather describing what was happening in the church. These false teachers were targeting women better than saying women are weak at the time, especially when God's true teaching is not taught today. We see again this problem happening in our churches too, don't we? What do you think, church, is the biggest hindrance in bringing someone to church? What is the biggest hindrance to church's witness to the gospel? What do you think that is? Oftentimes, people talk about we need to hold on to the orthodoxy and we fight over all the, all the details of our orthodoxy correctly, right? But is that really 
the biggest hindrance that you face when you go out and talk to your neighbors, why you go to church on Sunday, why you believe what you believe. Actually, the biggest hindrance is not the gospel, not the Bible, not the difficult teachings of the scripture itself, because Jesus got some hard things to say, doesn't he? Right? And after all, it's been many, many years that this same teaching has been taught over and over and over again. It's nothing new. And it has never hindered God's witness. Right? We know that God's word does not change. It has not changed. It never fails. It is hard teaching, of course, when he says, take your cross and follow him. What difficult teaching is that? But he also provides strength, and we find more hope. Many, in fact, do see that, and they testify to the goodness of Christ. That's why they give their lives. They give their lives for this work, because the Word of God never fails. But the biggest hindrance that you and I face today is church's hypocrisy, right? Again, hypocrisy is not sinlessness. We're not saying church should be full of no sin. I mean, fully sinless. That's not what we're saying, because you come to our church, you realize, wow, all right, this is not it, right? Hypocrisy isn't sinlessness. It is when you claim to have no sin, but sin. That's what hypocrisy is. That's my struggle with hypocrisy. That's your struggle with hypocrisy. When we often say, well, I am not that. I'm not that. Don't we often do that? Scripture is very clear about those people in the, um, in the Bible, right? Pharisees who say, well, thank God I'm not like that but I'm like this. That hurts the witness. Another way to describe is this self-love, being full of it. It's lack of love for those around you. It's lack of honor and holiness we're called to be. That hurts the gospel. It's the Christian nationalism that falsely ties the gospel to the national identity. It is the Hebrew Israelites that discredit the validity of the gospel teaching. The natural result of this false teaching is hatred, division. No wonder, church, it's hurting. But here is the gospel hope that we have. The true gospel of Christ, the good news, that this will not be the end. Paul tells us in the scripture that God is again in control. Even in these last days when things are difficult, even when he's in the jail waiting for his death, even when it seems like the evil is winning and church is losing, this is what Paul tells of Timothy, verse 8 of chapter, nine, uh, chapter 3, these teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved mind and counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everybody will recognize what fools they are just as with Janus and Jambres. Janus and Jambres are not made in the book of Exodus, but based on the Jewish targum, Jewish tradition, we see that they are Egyptian sorcerers who oppose Moses during his first encounter with Pharaoh in Egypt. When he asked him to release his people, and Moses demonstrated the power of God by turning the wood staff into serpent, Pharaoh said, Janus, embrace my sorcerers, come, and you do it. And they actually did it. Right? They actually had a form of the snake. To this, Pharaoh says, well, see this? My guys can do it. Your work is not that great. If my sorcerers can do this, why should I be afraid? In fact, what Janice and Jambres represented here is those who prose who God is to say this is of my fake news and the appearance of the power and authority against the true power and authority is saying, oh, wow, and holding on to that. But you know what? You know what Paul says? 
Do you know the story? Hey, church, he's saying, do you know the story? Do you know what happens? It looked like they were winning. It looked like you're up against a superpower at the time, and the sorcerers showed the appearance of power and authority. But guess what happens to them? Exodus chapter 7, 11. The Pharaoh summoned the wise men sorcerers. They began, and the magicians of Egypt, they also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. And I think about imagination, right? Two serpents are looking at each other and thinking like, wow, what's going on here? And guess what it says here in verse 12? I love this. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Aaron's serpents destroyed, annihilated, fake, fake picture of prosperity, fake picture of authority, and fake picture of power of Pharaoh at the time. Their staff got absolutely destroyed. It had a form of a serpent, but its functionality was not that of a serpent. It got destroyed. It puffed up, and it vanished. And not only so, God said, I'm not done yet. Let me show you 10 plagues to demonstrate my power and my authority to show you that I'm greater than any pharaoh ever existed on earth. Church, that's the hope Paul tells Timothy. The outcome of the false teachers will be the same, he's saying. Our hope is that the last days are not the end. The struggles, the difficulties of living for God in this world is not the end. It merely points to the glorious victory of Christ that is to come. We know the end, right? Like I said, read the Bible, Revelation. If we have no hope in this life, let's turn to Revelation, and we see when God shows up, nothing can stand in His way. And why is there such an urgency for Christians to live for God? Again, when you go to the Bible's end point, we see God wins and the evil is punished. Therefore, we must preach the good news of Christ for those who need to hear this, to leave behind the fake news of false teaching and to come closer to the renewing life that's found in Christ and Christ alone. That's why if you're not a Christian this morning, we urge you to come and learn to listen. Ask God to open up your eyes to the follies of your heart of the world and good news of the gospel to free you so you can love God's people. You can love God and be who you are meant to be. Free to love, not to center upon who you are, but to chase after what God has created you to be, to interwove in your story with other stories so that God's great picture of the gospel can be seen throughout. I love this story that one of our members shared with me this week. The person said, I need to come to church on Sunday. And I was like, amen, I'm a pastor, I love that, right? Preach that. Um, but the person said, I need to be in God's presence, especially now, because sometimes... I don't want to be there. I'm like, what? What's going on, right? And the person would say, sometimes I can't sing the songs because that's not my life right now. I can't say, same God has answered my prayer. I can't say every praise comes from me because that's not what I'm feeling. There's tension of the social tension, peer pressure, personal, collective hurts and trauma. It's hard to persevere. I can't sing. I can't say amen to what you're saying. But the person was saying, that's why I need to come. Not in my own nice home by myself. I need to hear my brothers and sisters, my church, sing when I can't sing. I need to hear someone else say amen 
that stirs my soul to say amen. I need someone else to say, I want to pray for you, intercede on behalf of you, and lay that hand on me to speak the gospel truth in my life again. Church, you're created for that. Do you know that? You're made for that. Do you believe that? You're not made just to check off boxes, hear good teaching, and go home. You're made to be in a community, to celebrate the stories together. I believe that's grace that God prepares for us today. Our gender report is out. You probably saw that in the email this week. The gender committee has worked very, very hard to come up with this report. We shared a little bit about it last week. But I want to encourage you to read it, to study it, Make sure that we're teaching and applying the right stuff, right? Don't just accept what we do and change what we do because the church does it. Read it yourself. Ask questions. Wrestle in them. Don't write a blog by yourself. You know, don't go off in your Facebook on your own. Talk to us, right? Let's talk about it. Let's talk to the committee. Let's wrestle in this together. I love this one email I got this past week. This person who wrote and asked, hey, can you share a little bit more about the report because your email doesn't really say much. I said, oh, yes, I should have said more, right? But... From, I love what the content of email said. It said, from my perspective as a member, this person writes, it would be helpful for the church membership to know what the church leaders has adopted and approved. And it says, for me personally, it might be helpful to form and to inform my thinking in this area. I was so blessed by this. I was so challenged by this. I was so discipled by this heart. Desire to learn, to grow, to share and I'm grateful for the committee that came up with this report. Because if I'm reading this report correctly, what the report is trying to push us toward is faithful orthopraxy practice based on biblical orthodoxy belief. I believe the report wrestles with what we can do to love our women and our singles better in this church. I believe this report wrestles with what we're called to do in the Church of Christ. In it, they write, when the congregation limits the role of women or the role of a single members in the life and the leadership of the church, it prevents the congregation from fulfilling this biblical intention, which is that each member, men and women and single individuals included, is equipped in a unique way and are made to work together with other parts of Christ's body, the church. All members of church body are called to serve together so that the Lord can be glorified and in marital status um, be glorified. Sorry, I lost my spot. As fully as possible through the work of our congregation, the diversity that differences in gender and in marital status creates is part of the divine design of the Lord for His church and our practices within the congregation needs to allow for the expression of the diversity as intended. I believe you'll see that impact in our worship. I believe our church will be more fuller of the gospel truth as a result of it. So can you commit to that, church? To read, to study, to come together as a body of Christ, not only to know the right belief, but know what it means to practice correctly according to what God has called us to be. Let's pray, will you? Pray with me, church. I'm going to use a prayer to pray this portion, pray by Reverend Francis Gramty, faithful pastor of 15th Street Presbyterian Church, one of the first historic black Presbyterian churches in America from 1878 to 1928. I believe his prayer captures 
this heart well. I'm going to pray this prayer together. He prayed this in God and prayer as factors in the struggle. Out of the dark, the circling spear is rounding onward to the light. We see not yet the full day here, but we do see the paling light and hope that lights her fadeless fires and faith that shines a heavenly will and love that courage re-inspires. These stars have been above us still, oral sentinels whose thread we heard. Through long hours when we could not see, pause now, exchange with the cheer of the word, cheer the word, unchanging watchword, liberty. Look backward, how much has been won. Look round, how much is yet to win. The watchers of the night are done. The watchers of the day begin. O thou whose mighty patience holds the night and day alike in view, thy will, our dearest hope, unfold. O keep us steadfast, patient, true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.